One year ago, we got a crazy idea to start a podcast for curious pet parents. And today, we're hopping back to talk about the topic that started it all. On episode one, Dr. Shirley talked to us about a novel virus that had entered Tennessee and was attacking rabbits. It's one year later, and we're going to receive an update on the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus from an expert in the world of lagomorphs. That's today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, joined, as I'll say most always, my co-host, Stephen. Welcome in, Stephen. Hello, Michael. Yeah, it is. I'm trying to think there's been a couple, there's been a couple. We, where I've been without you and yeah. a couple you've been without me, but... But we've been together for one, one year. year. This is our one-year ep- ep- anniversary. We Our first episode came out on 310 of 2022, and this is 3-9-2022. You may be listening to it later. 2023, yes. yes. You may be listening to it later, but that's when this one's published. Well, we started the podcast as, um, a, well, we were going to make a radio, actually, I recorded some radio spots for our local radio station, WGNS. And about the rabbit hemorrhagic disease that was a new novel disease in Tennessee. And um, that's what led to the Family Pet Podcast. We just decided to keep going, making our own little evergreen contents and announcements and things that we could find for for pet parents out there. And here we are one year later, and we are going back to where it all started. It's back to the future. That's back to the future. That's right. We are going to be talking about the rabbit hemorrhagic disease once again. I think that we're a little bit better in our podcasting abilities now, but... We, um, I was going to say, we know what we're doing, but maybe not, maybe not based maybe. on how this setup today is went. But, but it's okay. And But, you know, episode one was with Dr. Shirley, who was talking about this new thing that was a new disease that was affecting rabbits in Tennessee. That was the one and only time that Dr. Shirley's been on our That's podcast. Not, no, she's done. She did a bonus about a bonus episode about canine. That's influenza. right, canine influenza. Yeah. So uh, she just so, jumps in without me. So we're going to join today by Dr. Amanda Jones with MedGene Laboratories. I'm going to need to get the explanation. It's just MedGene. That's all I know it by is is MedGene. They're the ones that created the rabbit hemorrhagic disease vaccine. Yeah, so. Dr. Jones, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Very excited to be joining y'all today. Yeah, thank you very much for coming in. Tell us a little bit about what you do and your um, and what, what is MedGene. Yeah, so I um, work part-time with MedGene. They are a pharmaceutical company who specializes in making vaccines. Um, I fell into them because of my work with RHDV2 in my native state of Texas. At the time, I was a general practitioner like many vets across the country, and I dealt with a case of RHDV2 in my clinic in central Texas, and that led to me working through the process of importing the European vaccines. There were two European vaccines that were available for states that had been affected at this point in time, Uh, the Spanish vaccine, Airvac, and the French vaccine, Filivac, but the process of importing them was extremely difficult and expensive, and I became really excited and got in touch with a U.S. company interested in making an RHDV2 vaccine, and from there, I've been helping them ever since. So bunny owners across the United States 
should send you thank you cards. Yeah, it's Dr. Jones. That's it's who Dr. we're thanking. <laughs> That's That's, right. It's all Dr. Jones. We're, and if, you don't even have to correct us if we're wrong. We're just going to go with that. So we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> so, well, can you give us, so when, when did you say when that was that you first started r- working with MedGene on bringing in these new vaccines or working? I believe it was spring of 2022 that I really started working with them quite a bit. Um, I had been in touch with uh, Dr. Gary Anderson uh, through a couple mutual contacts, and one thing led to another, and he asked if I could help them with their field safety studies for the new vaccine. And we did so. We did kind of preliminary field safety study here in Texas, and then I did a follow-up one uh, with them. Uh, There were a couple of other locations. Uh, One was in Colorado, and I forget where the last one was held at, Uh, but it's part of the process of bringing a new vaccine on board is we want to take it to the field with real rabbits, using it to help protect them and to also make sure that it's safe in a normal environment outside of the lab. Mm -hmm. And I will say I was really pleased with the vaccine. I was very excited about it. Uh, We started using it in our own personal rabbits, and I've been very happy with it there as well. And then since that point in time, I've just been kind of consulting with them, helping them with Um, any adverse events, talking to other vets about how to use the vaccine and their practices, anything I can do to help promote this vaccine and protecting rabbits against RHDV2. All right, so that raises an actual question that we want to touch on. What is RHDV2? Um, What is this disease? Can you tell us about it? Yeah, and that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? RHDV2. All letters and numbers, really hard to remember. The full name of it is Rabbit Hemorrhagic Disease Virus Type 2. And that's not even easier to roll off the tongue. Uh, What this is, is it's a really bad virus. Uh, It is transmitted through contact with objects. And the rabbits come in contact with it. They groom it off of themselves. They eat it off of food, hay, a cardboard box, and it goes inside of them. And it goes and replicates mainly in the liver, causing a severe hepatitis or a severe liver inflammation that results in sudden death. That's how hard and fast it hits. And usually once they've ingested that virus, within a few days, um, they're gone. Now, not all rabbits will die from this particular virus, but mortality, the death rates of this particular virus can be over 80%. What would you, what's been the progression of the virus in the United States? I know in Tennessee, it just came in last year. Um, Has it been around the United States longer than that? Or tell us a little bit about that progression. This is a really interesting virus. So the original version, now we're on the second version of the virus, type 2. The original version, RHDV1, has been around since the 80s. We first documented in China. And from there, it spread all over Asia, Europe. Um, It's been in Australia. It's hit just about everywhere. And there have been one or two cases that did pop up of the original type virus in the U.S. We had this labeled as a foreign animal disease. In other words, it's a disease that affects animals, but not commonly in the U.S. And the reason why we could label it that way 
is it would only affect domestic rabbits and European cocktails, which are where the domestic rabbits came from. It didn't affect our native wildlife. And because of that, if we had a case in the U.S., we could isolate it, uh, clean it up, and basically get it back out of the country. That all changed with RHDV2. It developed in France in 2010, and since then, it has really spread all over the globe. Now, in 2020, we started having some cases pop up in the Washington area, and then it kind of spread. Uh, it might be a different genetic strain, uh, but it spread into the southwest U.S., and this is where it became a real problem because it wasn't just affecting our domestic rabbits anymore. It was also for the first time ever affecting our wildlife population. Our rabbits and hares that are native to the U.S. that are a completely different genus and species from the domestic rabbits that uh, were previously the only ones affected. And once it got into the wildlife, it was really hard to get rid of. And it's now considered endemic, in other words, a permanent resident of the southwestern U.S., and we will continue to have outbreaks, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Texas, probably for forever at this point in time. Um, it's not going to go away. Now, the eastern part of the U.S. hasn't had many cases in its wildlife yet. Thankfully, that Mississippi River is proving a nice, good natural barrier to it progressing further east. But we've had quite a few sporadic, unpredictable cases in our pet rabbits all up and down the East Coast ever since it got a foothold in the Southwest U.S. I think most of our listeners at now that we're three years into COVID, um, three years into the coronavirus, and now we've become familiar with some of the language such as variants, does, does RHDV2, are there variants do you see or... Is that how it went from version one to version two? Is that a variant or was it a completely yes, different? It's a variant. So what we think happened, and there's still a lot of research ongoing with this, is that RHDB1 mutated and it might have picked up some of the genes from these non-pathogenic Khaleesi viruses. In other words, viruses that circulate throughout the rabbits but don't cause disease or through another related virus that's in Europe called European Brown Hair Virus Syndrome that's very similar to RHDV. Regardless of how it happened, RHDV1 kind of jumped and mutated into RHDV2. Now, there's a lot of key differences between these two strains. One is that we now know that it can affect North American wildlife species. Previously, this would only affect that one genus and species, it was very, very specific, and other animals would not be affected by the virus. Now we know that other lagomorphs, other rabbit species, can be affected by RHDV2. The other difference is RHDV2 will attack and kill much younger rabbits than RHDV1 was known to do. Most rabbits who died from RHDV1 were going to be 12 weeks or older. RHDV2 can affect and kill really young babies just as easily as it can kill the adults. Mm, that's scary. Now MedGene offers a, a vaccine that prevents the spread. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that works? 
Previously, um, we had to go through a very difficult importation process of European vaccines. This is a really great virus to target with vaccines. Um, the first symptom being sudden death, so really treatment's not a great option, and it's very easily preventable with vaccines. And Europe's been dealing with it a lot longer than we have, and they've taken the time and really developed two great vaccines over there. The problem with Khaleesi viruses, which is the type of virus that RHDV2 is, is that they don't grow easily in the lab. And this made it really difficult to make vaccines. What they had to wind up doing in rabbit uh, in Europe is they actually had to grow the virus particles in live rabbits, humanely euthanize these rabbits, and gather up those particles to make it into a vaccine. Now, we didn't want to do that over here in the U.S. for a variety of reasons. One, we didn't really love the fact that we were having to lose life, even though we were doing it to protect life. And two, we really didn't want a bunch of rabbits and labs growing this really bad foreign animal disease. So MedGene kind of came up with this really ingenious way of using the DNA to manufacture the proteins that stimulate the immune system in the lab. So we're not having to grow the virus in the lab. We're just growing the proteins that stimulate the immune system to protect the rabbits. And that's what they've done. So this is called a subunit protein vaccine. They're taking the most immune-stimulating protein, combining it with a few other ingredients to help kind of turn that immune system on, giving it to the rabbit, and the rabbit's immune system goes, hey, we got some big baddie here that's attacking us. We need to learn what this is in case it reappears. And that's how that vaccine works. That is a great explanation. Thank you very much. I, that is fantastic. I feel, I feel so much smarter. I do too. I'm going to listen to this and play it by Spoiler yeah. alert, I'm going to win some trivia. <laughs> that's right. Well, have you always been interested in virology and, and things like this? Or is this a late addition to your veterinary career? No, actually, I will say I have been fascinated by RHDV since I was in high school in the early 2000s. Um, I was a 4-H kid. It all started with 4-H because I was in Kentucky, and they don't have quite as active of an animal system as Texas does. And uh, I showed up, and I was ready for my bucket calf, and they said, we don't do that here, but <laughs> there's rabbits. And I said, sign me up. Yeah. And one thing led to another, and I got really involved with 4-H in rabbits in Kentucky and with the American Rabbit Breeders Association from there. And around about this time, they did have a case, I believe it was Ohio or Indiana, and it just caught my attention. And I read everything I could about it, and it was fascinating. And eventually, I kind of forgot about it, went to vet school, and then it showed back up. And when it did, I'm like, I know what I'm going to do about this. And we just dove into it. Uh, I managed to make a couple connections with the Texas State vet. Uh, he helped me import. And the rest is kind of histories. But yes, it all started with 4-H way back when. So for our listeners, can you walk through what the vaccine protocol, what what do they do in order with the vaccine, how many how many doses, how long apart? Protocols, yeah, protocols. protocols. What's the protocols? Well, the cost is going to be set by your veterinarian. Uh, they have to purchase the vaccine. They do have to pay shipping for the vaccine to get it into their area, and that's going to change the cost from clinic to clinic. 
they have to do uh, in some states some extra paperwork. Uh, they often will do vaccine certificates, pay for syringes, tech time. So every clinic's going to have a little different price point depending on who you're working with. And just call around. If you're working on a real budget, there's been some rabbit rescues that have been hosting clinics to help folks that are, you know, really having to watch that bottom dollar, but they want to do the best by their rabbits. So costs will vary um, quite a bit. When it comes to the dosing, uh, you're going to contact your vet. They're going to help arrange with it or help put you in touch, hopefully with vet who does have the vaccine if they're not currently carrying it. And you're going to go in for a basic wellness appointment. They're going to look your rabbit over, make sure it's healthy, listen to its heart, its lungs, check everything out. And then it's just like your dog and cat vaccines. They're going to give a little pinch right over the neck with a little syringe. Uh, it's a small amount. It's only half a cc volume. And that's going to be your first dose. In three weeks, you're going to come back for a booster vaccine, similar to when you get your puppy boosters done when your puppies and kittens are real little. This booster vaccine is really important. So when we first give this vaccine, the immune system sits up, takes notice, goes, oh, that looks vaguely concerning. I should remember that. And they start building immune response. When we come back three weeks later, we show this same subunit protein to them again, and the immune system goes, whoa, that thing is back again. This has got to be very serious. I have to remember what this is because it's going to come back and it's going to be a big deal. And they mount a much stronger immune response and memory that's going to help protect them if they ever get exposed to that virus. So that booster is really important. Uh, we have it set at that three weeks marks, and they've done a study uh, over in conjunction with Colorado State where they actually tested this vaccine in real rabbits so they know that it works. And what they did is they took a bunch of lab animals, and this is process standard for vaccine development in the U.S., uh, and they vaccinated them, and then they exposed them to RHDV2 two weeks after that second vaccine. And all of these rabbits survived. Not a single one um, died after being vaccinated, even when directly exposed to the RHDV2 virus. And that was the protocol they used. Those, Initial vaccine. Yeah, those are good odds. Three weeks later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they were exposed two weeks after that booster, and it worked lovely. Yep. So ideally three weeks, but we know that real life happens. We want to be as close to that three-week mark as possible, but two to four weeks is kind of that window where we're really wanting to get that booster in at. And then do we do annual boosters after that? Yes, that's what we are anticipating. Okay. Now, and because this is such a bad virus, the USDA has been working with Medjin to get this out and available as quickly as possible to protect as many rabbits as possible. And as a result, there are still some studies ongoing, particularly the duration of immunity study that will prove, it's basically a repeat of the study that we've done now, but with longer periods of time before that exposure. And that is still an ongoing thing. So do we know for certain when the boosters are going to be re recommended? Not yet. But in my hands, this vaccine has worked just as well as the European vaccines, and it is very similar. 
they're both really triggering that immune response with a very particular protein called the VP60 protein. That's that immune-stimulating protein I was talking about earlier. And we know the European vaccines are good for a full year. They're a little bit older, and they've completed all of their study research. So we're anticipating that booster to be at a year very similar to those European vaccines. So it's important for for rabbit owners to just communicate with their veterinarian, get the most up-to-date um, results from the research and continuing studies. You mentioned that not every office has these vaccines and that there's some extra paperwork I'm well aware of um, for, for states like Tennessee that we had to sign up for. Do you know of a central database where people can check to see where, if, depending on their state, what veterinarians are carrying this vaccine? Not a central database. Okay. There's actually some very fantastic Facebook groups out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the North American RHDV2 group that has been compiling lists of veterinarians that carry the vaccine. And they have broken it down by uh, state. Okay. You can also call up your regular vet mm-hmm. and talk to them about it. It's easy to order directly through MedGene depending if your vet's able to do the extra paperwork. Some states are easier than others, um, and they may be able to help work through that with you. Medging does keep a list of all the state requirements for each individual state. Wonderful. We, we will put, Stephen took some notes down for, this, for our show notes, so listeners can go to the show notes for this episode and find that Facebook group. We'll link it. If you're in Tennessee, you can go to the State Vets Lab. We will link that as well for Tennessee, where they have a master list of all approved veterinarians that are carrying this vaccine. So, well, thank you so much for joining us to talk to us about this. And uh, it is time, Dr. Jones, for the part of our show. It's called The Fun Fact. We need an intro music for something. This <laughs> And yeah, a better title. Yes, The Fun Fact. This, the Fun Fact. This is trivia, basically. You're going you're gonna to drop some knowledge on our listeners, even more than you already have. Um, this is designed to help them win trivia night at their local bar or impress their friends and family at family dinner. Do you have a fun fact to make our curious pet parents just a little smarter? Yeah, so my fun fact for today is that in the U.S., the oldest domesticated breed of rabbit is called the silver rabbit. It was developed in the 1600s. And this particular version now only exists in the U.S. and in Great Britain. It is a very rare breed of rabbit and is considered critically, um, not endangered isn't the right word, but critically threatened, threatened by the American Livestock Conservation Society. What we need is some, veterin- uh, some uh, 4-H'ers out there to get busy. Uh, protecting this rabbit breed, raising these rabbits. I think it's the rabbits, rabbits that, that get, get busy. busy. <laughs> so, oh, well, no. Did you did you raise this breed um, by chance in 4-H? I did not when I was in 4-H, but we do currently raise it now. Okay. Well, they can reach out. If they want to help protect this breed, they can reach out to you. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining us on the Family Pet Podcast. Um, fascinating in-depth look and and a much better understanding of how this disease has progressed and how the vaccine can help protect those bunnies out there that belong to our curious pet parents. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Family Pet Podcast, would you please help us by giving us a review? Um, I have learned a lot about podcast statistics lately, and the way we can spread this knowledge out is to just leave a review. So take a second. If you can't think of anything to say in the review, just put a, a favorite bunny breed that you have. If you have a rabbit, just say, I have a rabbit, and it is this breed. But we would appreciate that. That would mean a lot to us. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Family Pet Podcast, that it's made you just a little bit smarter and helped uh, fulfill your curiosity. We appreciate you listening this past year, and we look forward to many more episodes to come. Until next time, stay curious. The Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health, PLLC, and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary-client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast show notes links and videos to accompany today's show can be found at the family pet podcast.com